Um, adults, if you can please turn in your Bible with me, please, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. My name is Stephen. I'm very honored to be the pastor here at New Covenant. I say that every time. Yeah, but I want you to know I am, I am honored. I'm honored to be your pastor. I'm honored to seek the Lord with you. I'm honored to see the Lord's hand on all of us. Um, I've been eager to preach this message with you, or really just to come to the Word and look at it together. And the reason for that is because I can see and feel and I know the Lord is doing good things. He is moving. He is, he is redeeming hearts. He is bringing families back together. The Lord is doing great things, which is just like him, isn't it? Because he's good. This passage that we're going to read today is the church and the early church, and Paul in particular is the Apostle Paul. And he has been traveling around with some companions. The writer of the book of Acts is Luke, who is Paul's disciple. And so Paul and Luke and others have been going around on a missionary journey through Macedonia, which is Greece, basically. And they're on their way from Greece to Jerusalem, eventually to Rome. And everywhere they go, they have met with great things happening and also major opposition. And so Acts chapter 18, 17, 18, 19 has told us that all of the word of God the gospel of God's grace, of his salvation in Jesus Christ, has gone out to the, the entire known world of Asia. That's amazing. Also, there have been multiple plots to kill Paul or to harm the Christians and all kinds of things that have been happening. And so Paul has been on the move. There are great miracles that are taking place. The Lord is attesting to what his spirit is doing with power. And so as the word is proclaimed, there are powerful things that are happening, and it's exciting to see all the stuff that God is doing in the church. And now we come to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start about halfway through. And what has happened specifically is that there has been um, a lot of training that Paul is doing, and he, as he's on this journey now, he has stopped off at a few places to say goodbye to some friends, basically, and to strengthen them for a short time. So in that, in that vein, he has also seen... Um, people raised from the dead, all kind of great things. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Now we come to Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, and Paul is going to continue on, and Luke is going to tell us what he's doing as he's continuing on this journey and meeting with people. So let's read together, please, in Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. Now from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the God of grace. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in amongst you and not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build up and to give you the inheritance along with all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Praise the Lord for his word. As we come to this passage and we see that God is doing great things amongst the people in Ephesus, it's important to remember that this is where Paul spent most of his time with the Ephesians within, in the city of Ephesus. Most of his time while he was in Asia, he spent with these people. And he was there about three years roughly. And during that time, he had a little tent-making shop of some kind. It seems like he employed some people and he was making tents and building things. Now remember, a lot of people live in tents. And if they go anywhere, the tents are a big deal. So this is almost like a little construction company, more or less. And so Paul is working really hard in this job. He's working so hard in this job, in fact, that he is able to supply all of his needs financially and also to support people who are going with him on missionary journeys. Wasn't that a great goal? Man, that's awesome, isn't it? And all of Asia is hearing the word of God. And there's great riotous things happening. There's all kinds of difficulties. There are plots to kill him. There's lots of things happening to the point where he can't publicly proclaim in some places. And instead, he has to go into hiding and home to home where he is proclaiming the word in smaller settings. That's, there's a lot going on. And now as he's passing through, he knows if he stops in Ephesus, he'll stay in Ephesus for a while. And so instead of doing that, he stops and he calls the Ephesian elders, the leaders, to come and meet with him so that he doesn't get stuck staying there. Not that he doesn't want to visit them, but he knows if he stays, he's going to stay too long. And on this journey, he's already set that he must go on to Jerusalem. Now, he has heard multiple times from different people that we have not read prophecies about how he will be bound, how he'll be beaten, how he'll be hurt, how it will not go well for him. But he says that he is constrained by the Holy Spirit that he must go to Jerusalem and do all the things that God has called him to. Can you feel the urgency with which he talks? Can you feel the, the strength of the mission behind him in what he's saying to these elders? As he's talking to them, he's also explaining to them all the things that he does. He says that he did not shrink from declaring to them, in verse 20, anything that was profitable and teaching both in public and from house to house. Have you ever had one of those meetings in your house? You know how sometimes you have like a, 
a birthday party or an anniversary party or something or just Thanksgiving. And sometimes the very best discussions and time relationally are after it's over. You know what I'm talking about? Like the after the after party where you're just kind of there together. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's right, it's right about the time like Uno gets put away. And all of a sudden somebody goes, you hungry? And you're like, yeah, I could eat something. And now with popcorn, like you have a real discussion about something. Aren't those great times? That's, that's what Paul experienced in Ephesus. And you can feel that as he's talking to them. But one of the things that he tells them here is that he did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. In fact, he says this in two different times. He goes on to say that he won't see them again. But in verse 26, he uses that shrink word again. Verse 26 and 27, he says, Therefore, in 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. What a statement that is. I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What do you think he means by that? Why do you think he's saying he's innocent of their blood? First of all, what does that feel like? Does that feel urgent, missional, big? These words, I mean, he could have said, I, am, I, I can't be charged anything by any of you. None of you can come against me. He could have said something like that. Instead, he says, I'm innocent of your blood. Like the life and death is a big deal here. What does he mean by this? What do you think? Yes, he has preached faithfully salvation to them, that they have the gospel. Anybody else? Yeah, of course, he understands that there's persecution. Yeah. He understands that the New Testament church, in which was prophesied about him and his impending martyrdom, mm-hmm. he understands to these Ephesian elders, as you take this leap, as you move forward with this gospel message, it may cost you your life. I'm innocent of that. Because it's a martyrdom not unto me, mm-hmm. it's a martyrdom unto Jesus. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Amen to that. It's hard to follow that one. <laughs> There's part of this too of he didn't stop from declaring the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. If they were believing part of salvation, which is what happens all the time in cults. Have you ever noticed? Cults have, they have little bits of truth in them. You know, I met a, uh, a gal a little while back who was an actual Jedi. She was an, actually a member of the Church of Jedi. Like Star Wars, she believes that George Lucas, who wrote Star Wars, was a prophet who received from a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, a real story about really for really the Force. And she was uh, waiting tables in First Watch, and I was talking to her. She was lovely. She's like mid-20s, really. We know how sometimes you get those like waiters or waitresses that are like your best friend. She was that kind of personality, you know, and she was great. And so we're chatting, and the person I was going to meet wasn't there yet. It was kind of slow. And so we're chatting, and I said to her, um, I said, what, you know, are you from St. Louis? You know, normal questions, right? Where'd you go to high school? It's normal questions. So I said, what, that's a St. Louis. If you're not from St. Louis, that, that's a St. Louis question. So I said to her, what brings you to St. Louis? She said, well, I just moved here from Colorado. I have an aunt that lives here. I got into this weird relationship with my Jedi master, and we ended up having a, a child together, but then he married another one of the Padawans, and it was kind of weird. 
And like she said, and I was like, huh. And because I like Star Wars, I happen to know what some of those words mean. And I was like, what? Do you, what? And she was, oh, I'm a Jedi. And then she rolled up, and I, you know, at first you think they're they're joking, right? But she had like tattoos. She was into it, and she was looking for a new Jedi master and found one in Kansas City that might work. And so I asked her. I said, do you try to move things with your mind? She's like, yes, we're working on it. You know. But now, here, having said this, having said this. To tie to something ancient, is there truth in that? Yes. To tap into power that's beyond us, is there truth in that that humans want? Yes. Having close relationships and discipleship from a master, in this case abused in weird ways, and children being produced out of that, so that's, you can let your mind wander on that, that's wrong. However, this desire for mentorship and discipleship, is that good? Yes. And then all of those things, and literally the U.S. government recognizes Church of Jedi as an authorized religion in the United States. There's really, there, that really exists. But I'm saying this to you because here's Paul. He didn't give half-truths. He didn't appeal to the stuff that are innate in people. To say, you know, I can, I can latch on to this because you have an innate, an innate desire to do something big and to serve God. He could have used fancy words and he could have used great, he's a genius. He could use great oratory. He could have used great logic. He could defeat all of these other oratory people and professors that are coming to talk in Ephesus. He could have made himself the best arguer and everybody follow him. And instead he said, as you follow me, you really follow Jesus and your whole life is pointed to him. He's everything. Everything is about Jesus. It's not about me and I'm going to give you everything so you have it. So I cannot be guilty of you if you go to martyrdom or that I have not given you everything that you need for life and godliness. I have given it all to you. I've withheld no special knowledge for myself that I'm the best wizard there is. There's none of that. Instead, he gave them everything. And so now there's no blood on his hands in a spiritual sense that he didn't give them the whole gospel. And the whole gospel is what grips us to do something for Jesus and why people would sacrifice But beyond that, too, when is that happening? Because he was having those moments around the popcorn after the thing was over with these elders. He lived with them, amongst them for three years, house to house. And you could feel the relationship that's there, the tears that are there when they leave. There's weeping because they know they won't see him again. Not to mention, it's not mentioned in this passage, because none of their responses are mentioned. It just says what Paul said. And in almost every place he's gone, the elders have said to him, do not go on to Jerusalem, you will die. Stay with us, stay alive, we need you. You have to tell us more stuff. And he's saying, I've told you everything. You have Jesus, you have enough. But the Lord is telling me, I must go. But here's the reality. If the Lord tells you, you gotta go. Even if you're leaving from the the comfort of homes, the comfort of being so close and in such great relationship and everything is good and we're, it's house to house and it's wonderful. This is, let's just keep this. But for the sake of the kingdom, it's so much more. Now I'm telling you that, let me just preface this. I'm not going anywhere. This is not a, this is not a sermon about going anywhere. This is a sermon though about becoming comfortable in relationship because don't we all want that? We all want that. You know, I've, I've prayed and I've had to tell the Lord, 
Help me when the day comes, when you tell my kids to go wherever they go. Because the reality is, I want them to love Jesus so much that they go wherever he says. And I can't impede that. But for us, we have a history of seeing, you know, we've started 60 churches from this congregation. 60 from this congregation. That's awesome, isn't it? But we have a heritage of sending, of seeing, of standing with, of looking for God, reaching into God for people that we don't, maybe won't meet. Like today, the guy's name I can't remember already. Nawaz. How could I forget that name? Nawaz. We might never meet Nawaz, but we're standing with him. What does that mean? This is not, this is not by the way, to get you to do something. This is to get you to see Jesus. I've been excited to preach this message with you because our name is New Covenant Church. When we have a name in which you stand on something that God does, it always gets tested. It always gets tested. So if you have a name like Grace, guess what's going to creep in? Legalism. Legalism. If you have a name like, you know, Flighty Fairy Church, I don't know what that will be. I have no idea, but I'm, I'm joking. But the reality is, if you have an identity around something that you have received from God, there will be testing on it, always. So what has God tested in our church? He's tested relationship. He's tested it hard. And a lot of that, you know, the Lord has seen fit to allow us to stand through that. What will we do with it? Are we going to be people who grip onto Paul and say he can't go? Or are we people who weep and also see that God is doing good things? The reality here, as we stand together, is that God is so good. He's so high above us. He's so perfect in his rule. He takes imperfect people who preach the whole character and the whole message of what he has given us. He takes people who are messed up and who need him in every facet. He binds them together into bodies that reflect him better than we can reflect him alone. And he moves us about the way he does. And it's so big for us, isn't it? And so I'm preaching this to us today because if we're going to be called New Covenant Church, if we're going to stand on the Word of God, if we're going to see Him do great things in the earth, if we're going to trust Him that He's going to really have restoration for the whole earth, what does it look like? It looks like the whole counsel of God is preached in everything we do. That Jesus Christ is proclaimed bigger than any one person. That there's no worship leader or preacher or pastor or gift amongst us that is greater than anybody because Jesus is greater than everybody. It means that as we come to the word of God, this shapes us. It brings us accountability. We come before him because we want to look like him. We want to reflect him. We don't want sin to creep into our body. We don't want a mixed version of what it means to serve Jesus and be something else. So all this something else has to go away so that we can just love Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we don't enter into politics. It doesn't mean we don't do business. We do all of those things, but we do them first to honor Jesus. It's totally different, isn't it? It also means that we are tested in our relationships because from house to house, we go about proclaiming. And some people rally to that, and you have great friends. Other times, you have just neighbors that are friends. Other times, like Paul, you have people that want to punch you in the face. And then we're shocked because... 
they threw away our mailer or they didn't listen to us or they didn't like what I said or my boss is against me or they brought me up on some kind of weird thing at work because I tried to say the name of Jesus or who knows? Then you come back here and you get built up in him because it's worth it for him, isn't it? And then when the day comes when our children grow and God sends them somewhere, we can stand together and say, the Lord's hand is on you, child, now adult. God's going to use you. We're here for you. We're still standing. And we could do so in great ways where we can see God do good things. And we don't measure ourselves against other Christians. You know, I was, I was driving past, I told this story once a while ago, but I was driving past another church a while back. And it's in this area and it's little. And um, I say little because like they have a little building. Does that make sense? So I don't know how many people they have. But it's close by here, and I was praying, and I was like, Lord, why don't you just close them and just merge them with us? Be nice. We probably could do more together than we can do apart. And I felt the Holy Spirit stop me, and the Lord spoke to me. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I passed a sign for the, I passed a sign for the population of Chesterfield. Can you guess what it is? Something like that. It's like something like 48,000, somewhere in there. And it's like 28 square miles, you know, Chesterfield. Chesterfield butts up to a lot of other places. Did you know that Chesterfield is now the most diverse city in Missouri? That's wild. How did that happen? Did you know that they're building thousands, thousands of housing units over here? Chesterfield Mall's about to go away. They have plans for thousands of housing units. That's going to be wild. What will that do to Clarkson? I don't know. It's probably not going to be awesome. The traffic might be crazy. But here's the reality, is the Lord spoke to me and he said, what if I answer your prayer? And I had prayed a long time ago and I said, Lord, what if you bring revival here? Would you give us a tithe of the people? Just give us a tithe of, of the people of this area that we can disciple them and shepherd them and see them grow. And he said, what if I answered your prayer? How many people would that be? 4,800 on a Sunday. He said, what if I gave you 480? If I give you 48? If I give you four? Because the Lord's mission is much bigger than the glory of a church. The Lord's mission is much bigger than the glory of the people. It's his glory. It's his mission. It's his people. And so are we going to love Jesus more than we love what we want or our legacy? And I said, Lord, forgive me, because if he wants to have a church open, he'll have a church open. And quite honestly, if he does a revival here, which I think he might, he can do whatever he wants. I'm praying for it. Are you? I know you are. But if he does it, when he does it, every church, imagine every church in Chesterfield, gets a hundred people on a Sunday who show up going, I liked drugs and now I love Jesus. What do I do? Because that's everybody. Have you noticed a lot of people smoke weed around here now all the time? All the time. Why? Because it makes them feel good. I'm being, being real honest, right? And so now they find their identity and feeling good in Christ and his gospel. 
And they don't know what to do with life because every pattern of their life before was ridiculous. And now every pattern of their life needs to point to a savior. And who do they come to? You and your house. After the party's over, after the Blues game is finished or the Cardinals game is finished, and you have popcorn, you say, are you hungry? And they say something like this. Man, I don't know how to cope without filling in the blank. But I love Jesus, and I don't think I should do that. What do you do? That sounds like a real conversation, doesn't it? And suddenly, we're thrust into a place where we need to give and not shrink back from declaring the entire counsel of God. Because other conversations are things like, now that I'm a Christian, my mom and dad don't want to have me at Thanksgiving. Now that I'm a Christian, all of my friends have left me because I'm no fun. Now that I'm a Christian, my best friend says, I will never go to church with you, and I don't want to hear about it again, and don't call me until you're ready to drink again. That's real, right? It is real. Or Christians who say, stuff in the past was too hurtful, we can't be friends anymore. What is that about? And so instead, can we just come to Jesus? Can we love him more than we love our reputations? Can we give the whole counsel of God? Can we be prepared to open our hearts in relationship to anybody that God gives us, but also knowing that ultimately it's for him? And the hurts that he has are more than the hurts that we've had. You know, it strikes me, Jesus was betrayed by the guy they thought was most faithful to carry the money. That was the guy that they were like, this guy is the most faithful. Even when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me at the table before they had communion, he told them, it's the one who eats this bread. And then he hands it to Judas. And he says, go and do what you're going to do quickly. And Judas runs away to go betray Jesus. And when that happens, the disciples, it say, are sitting at the table still wondering, could it be us? Because surely it's not Judas. Because he was so respected. And yet, then he comes and he betrays Jesus, not by pointing him out, but by kissing his cheek. So what does it look like for us to have relationships that maybe haven't gone the way we thought they would? Or maybe relationships inside or outside the church or friends that we thought would just get saved right away, but they haven't. Or people who come, it's almost Thanksgiving, I know some of us are dreading whoever's going to show up. There's that one aunt or uncle or whatever or cousin or it's going to be weird. But God's bigger, isn't he? What does it look like for us to not shrink back but to give the whole counsel of God? To not stop short on the gospel? Because it's very popular for us today to instead of saying, you are a sinner and you need Jesus for life, to instead say, Jesus loves you and maybe you should give him a try. What if we tell the whole counsel of everything that God tells us to say instead of just the nice little snippets? What if we love Jesus more than we love anything and it shows in our lives? At the end of the day, I hope, I hope that we have a relationship like this, set on mission, loving Jesus, weeping when somebody leaves, but also seeing what he's doing that's built around not just the greatest stock tip or the, how the sports team is doing, but everything in our relationship is built around how God has called us and united us together, and we're seeing him glorified, and we're moving forward in all he's, he's doing in life, and we're seeing our children walk into that grace, and wow, isn't that the place you want to be? That's the place I want to be. 
why have I been eager to tell you this passage? I've been eager to tell you this passage because God is doing great things. He's on the move. He's changing hearts. He's changing relationships. He is giving us success in so many areas. He's building houses all around us. New apartment buildings are going up everywhere. God is bringing people into this place who are different than what we expected before. Because Chesterfield has changed and is now this new diverse area. God is doing different things than we thought. But he's doing a lot of things. And I want to be at the forefront with you of what he is calling us to. And not 10 steps behind wondering why he's not doing it the way I want him to. So what does that look like? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. This is why we believe that God is speaking to us. He's going to show us. I believe also that he will show us what that means as we speak out to people and we see successes in areas. When I say successes, I don't just mean they love the mailer or they come to the fall festival or whatever. I mean discipleship and people changed and new converts and the baptismals filled every week and there's new people loving Jesus and it's shaping and changing lives and we get to do that together. How cool is that? That's what we're after. If that is too big of a thing for you right now, then here's what I suggest to you. Just fall in love with Jesus. He's so good. He's so kind. He moves us forward in all the things that he's called us to. If you feel like you're missing out on some of the counsel of God, search the scriptures. Give me, David, Jerry a call, Jeff a call, Jim a call. We'd love to sit with you. Let's search the scriptures together. Let's round out our understanding. Let's come to him. Let's leave no scriptural rock unturned so that we can love Jesus together as we grow in him. Let's worship with fervor and see what he's doing. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? I'm going to pray for us. Lord, as we come to your word, we thank you, Father, that you are doing great things. Lord, as we come to your word, we see how you are moving amongst us. Lord, as we come to your word, we see and we acknowledge, Lord, that you are doing things that are far beyond our expectation. Father, even now we submit our hearts to you, Lord, and we ask you, God, in all the places we don't understand, open our eyes. Help us, Lord, to see you clearly. Help us, Lord, to know your hand as you knit us together where you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to know your work here in St. Louis and everywhere. And Lord, use us and show us what we should do. Father, we ask you boldly, Lord, for revival. Revival in our own hearts of love for Jesus, for repentance in St. Louis. Father, we ask you, Lord, for disciples where we would be able to walk them through what your word says and who you are and teach them everything that the whole counsel of God may be in their lives. Lord, we ask you for changed lives, for restored relationships. Lord, for marriages that are on the rocks, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name, by your miracle power, Save them, Lord. Lord, we ask you boldly for healings of our body. We ask you boldly, Father, for the hearts of sons to be turned back to their fathers. Lord, we ask you boldly, Lord, that the hearts of grandparents would be turned to their children and grandchildren. Lord, we ask you boldly, Father, that daughters would be reunited with their parents. We ask you boldly, Lord, for godly marriages. Lord, we ask you boldly. Lord, according to your word, let righteousness and peace and joy fill our hearts, fill our families, fill our homes, fill our businesses, Lord, fill our schools, God. Lord, let let your word resound throughout St. Louis. And Father, if you see it fit 
Use us, God. Use us that we might, in whatever way you call us to, see you glorified in the earth. Lord, starting with our neighborhoods. And so, Lord, we confess to you our weakness, God. Lord, we cannot do it without you. But if you lead us, Lord, Lord, give us the words. Show us what to say. Teach us how to be so that the testimony of our life, the testimony of our word would line up with what you are truly doing. And so, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name for all those people now that, Lord, you are calling by name. Lord, call them by name and bring them here that we might disciple them faithfully. Lord, help us to have true relationship here. Lord, for hurts of the past, hurts from other churches, hurts from outside the church, hurts whatever, Lord, we find our healing in you. Lord, we know that you are good, and so we trust you, God. Lord, help us to be a people who puts you first in Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is with you. He is leading you. Be attentive to his call. God bless you this week. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.